Harpy Hour may contain explicit language, as well as graphic, violent, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour, episode four. Four more eps, four more eps. Guys, this is like a whole month's worth of content. Whoa. I don't know if people are listening to it at this point, but we've done it. Maybe. Maybe our friends. I mean, it exists. It exists in the world, and we'll see what happens with it. We are your favorite harpies. That's Elizabeth. You fucked it up, (laughs) Steph. God. That was intentional. Do it again. <laughs> We're your favorite harpies. I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. Woo! Woo! And oh, this is our podcast where we share ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. Basically, we think it's fun and interesting, and you should think it's fun and interesting. That's the deal. Totes. Mm-hmm. Tracy, what are you harping on this week? This week, I am harping on... Borrowing from the Bard. Back to the alliteration. No rhyming? Nope. Alliteration. Don't bards rhyme? With with borrowing? What? No. No. Bards, bards. in their profession, they rhyme things together. Mm, over my head. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know anything about your topic? <laughs> Guys, we're doing this. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, So, Liz, what are you harping on this week? I am harping on Missouri Marathon Madness. Keeping that going. We really are leaning into the alliteration here. I like it. I think that anyone who does a marathon is mad. Agreed. Very. Mm -hmm. Keep that shit to yourself, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Steph, what are you harping on? This week, I am harping about the Bridge of Death. There's, there's no alliteration. There's no rhyming. No. There's, there's no. nothing going on there. There's just mystery. Hashtag Steph ruins everything. Hashtag I couldn't think of a good alliteration and I didn't really think about it ahead of time. So that's what you get. She came up with this 30 seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Probs. Well, good work, team. Shall we get to it? Yeah, I guess I'll uh, do my segment, huh? Okay, so, as I said, mine is borrowing from the bard, and what I'm going to talk about is movies based on Shakespeare! Woo! Woo! Which is a lot. Definitely a theme. Yeah. So, in a world... Oh, you're talking about Lion King? Oh my god, let me do my intro! (laughs) In a world... Lion King is Hamlet! Oh my god, I'm going to punch you in your stupid face right now. Come at me. In a world... Of sequels, prequels, remakes, and spinoffs, it's hard to find new shit anywhere in the media these days. This is not a new phenomenon. We've been ripping off Shakespeare for years, and let me tell you about it. But before we get to that, here are some fun facts about Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) He was born and he died on the same day, 420. Oh, Mm -hmm. that that is a fun fact. Yep, 1564 and 1616. He is otherwise known as the Bard of Stratford-on-Avon. That's his full title. Bard of Stratford-on-Avon. 
but people usually just call him the bard. I didn't know he had a title. He's a he got knighted, man. Oh, so he's yeah. Sir the Bard at Stratford on Adon or whatever. They have the never really said that, but you know, I mean, he should be if he's a knight, right? Aren't they sirs? Well, maybe they like bestowed the bard title on him. Maybe it wasn't actually knighthood. So, uh, the bard was married to Anne Hathaway. I wrote lols next to that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really funny. He's married to Catwoman, you guys, slash Fontaine. I feel like there's a big age difference there. I know. I know. She has aged beautifully. She really has. May December weddings, man. Thumbs up. So he also invented a ton of words that we still use today. And eyeball. What? Sure. Eyeball. Eyeball is one of them. He invented eyeball. He did. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you guys know that three eyeballs weigh twenty one point three grams? I do now. I also heard that pencils weigh that much. Three pencils. What? So weird. Or twenty jelly beans. Jelly beans are super important as a metric. Mm-hmm. So the three words that I chose come from the stories that I'm going to talk about, which are uh, swagger, uncomfortable, and undress. Swagger. He came up with undress. I know. An uncomfortable. I love that he came up with swagger. Mm-hmm. All of those words are just such. They're so ubiquitous words. today. Yeah, they're so ubiquitous today that you're just like. Where would we be without Shakespeare? To think that someone had to invent that word is just a weird. I know, right? They've just always been words. What did swagger mean? Like, did that change at all? No, it's... Uh, here, hold on. It's been shortened now to swag. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that's, that is not Shakespeare's fault. Uh, swagger meant to walk or strut with a defiant or insolent air, or to boast or brag noisily. Based on the word sway, which is how like the swaggerer might strut. Isn't that crazy? I feel like now it's developed a slightly more positive. Like it's not as much about arrogance. Just like, oh, they got swag. Like they're hip. They're cool. Yeah. It's more of like a joie de vivre or like a, like a, a, a joie de what now? Joie de, a joie de vivre. Joie de vivre. What is that? How do you not know that? I don't know French. It's lingo. No entiendo. Yeah, this is commonplace. I don't know how to spell it. Otherwise, I would look it up. De vive. What does it roughly translate to? De vive sounds like of life. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the joy of life. Cheerful enjoyment of life. Exaltation of spirit. Okay. I have been educated. There you go. Anyway, so I have four different movies that I would like to discuss. And the first one is West Side Story from 1961. Never saw it. Jesus Christ, Steph. For those of you living under a rock like Stephanie. Sorry. The sharks and the jets. Yeah. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way, Steph. But sounds like football teams. It's no. (laughs) The jets are a football team. (laughs) I don't know about the sharks. There are dolphins. Well, the sharks are a hockey team, but that's not the point. Our dolphins are the dolphins. Are they football? This is super not the point. Before they were those, they were gangs in New York City. That sang and danced. Yes. Beautifully. As all gangs do. <laughs> yes. The very classic snappy dance. You're stereotyping gangs here, stuff. The very cl- classic snappy dance that you do when you're about to rumble. 
exactly. We all started snapping. It's fine. <laughs> so um, the synopsis for those of you living under a rock like Steph is that star-crossed lovers Tony and Maria are from rival gangs in New York City. When the sharks and the jets force them to choose between gang loyalty and one another, Romeo violence and ensues and people get killed. Romeo Can and you Julia. like calm, calm the fuck down? <laughs> <laughs> I don't scream out during your segment. You absolutely do. That's not the point. So <laughs> you scream out on a daily basis, just in I life. Mean, yeah. Yeah, but that's part of my joie de vivre. <laughs> Regardless. So the Shakespeare counterpart is Romeo and Juliet, as you may have deduced, which was written I between did. 1591 and 1595. Also, Shakespeare super did not date his stuff. So people have to like guesstimate where it fell in his like timeline. They don't know. Like it wasn't published while he was alive no no. it wasn't it was produced while he was alive but it was not published per se so it could have finished three years before it went up so they don't know the dates on it but he actually wrote it we know the dates that it was acted out so it was performed we know the dates that it was produced we don't know the dates that it was written god damn it shakespeare get it together i know that's like the first thing they teach you in school to like sign and date your papers well, I think like anybody who's writing a book isn't necessarily going to like date each time they sit down and start writing. I think you just you date it based on when it was published. Don't make excuses for him, Liz. Do not justify this. Well, we don't have to now because we can see when our document was started on Word. All right. Well, everything can be traced. Absolutely. But back then they should have. Liz has the receipts. I have the receipts. Okay. So the connections between West Side Story and Shakespeare is basically that it's the same like story, except you swap out New York for Verona, Italy. And like, that's about it. They're interchangeable. They're super interchangeable. So some of the characters are like exactly the same. Like Anita, for example, in West Side Story is essentially the nurse. Like, she hangs out with and advises Juliet slash, uh, what's her face? Maria. And Bernardo is like Lord Capulet slash uh, Paris. And Riff is basically Mercutio because he just shows up and makes shit happen. All of these characters that we only very loosely remember from the actual Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Accurate. You're welcome for educating you. Do you just like have this knowledge in your brain all the time? Yeah. How do you not know this stuff? I don't have room for it. Who else do you need to know in Romeo and Juliet besides Romeo Romeo and Juliet? Juliet. Paris, Mercutio, you know, those guys. It sounds familiar. Paris is the guy who is supposed to marry Juliet, and Mercutio is besties with Romeo. Cool. Fun fact about my life. Rosalind, my cat, is named after uh, the Rosalind in Romeo and Juliet, which is the girl that Romeo walks in complaining about in his first scene. Remember when you also named your fish after Ophelia Shakespeare characters? And that then she drowned. <laughs> okay, but that was like a tragic twist of irony. Like she that was okay. She didn't actually drown. She just 
she committed suicide. She <laughs> stuck herself under the gravel so that she would drown. Completed suicide. Sorry. <laughs> and also, fish can't drown. Well, this one did not want to live. So, in <laughs> retrospect, I might have not given her enough of the, like, the stuff that you put in the fish water to make it safe for fish. I might have fucked that up. So it like drove her mad and then she buried herself in the gravel and died. Well, yeah, that's exactly how it goes. And that was fish number one. <laughs> Look, Cassio <laughs> lived a really good life. He, he lived in two separate states. He got a tour of D.C. Like he was crushing his life. So, you know, I made up for it. That's why you have a starter kid. And then <laughs> your next kid that's I'm the one sorry. you put all your hopes and dreams on. Aren't you the oldest? I am the oldest. You are the starter kid. You're the starter kid. I am the kid. starter kid. Me and Liz are the youngest. We are the final product. We are the perfected version. That explains so much now. Yeah, but I mean, I just turned out really fantastic. You're welcome, Sue and Mark. You guys got lucky. Then why did they keep going? Because they're masochists. That's why. <laughs> In any case. So... <laughs> The big difference between Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story is that, spoiler, in Romeo and Juliet, both of them die. What? And, I know. I'm sorry, guys. What? I said spoiler. Um, and in West Side Story, also spoiler, only Tony dies. Well, that one I didn't actually know. And I don't know who Tony is. That's a diversion. That's, that's it for West Side Story and Romeo and Juliet. Any questions, team? Is there, are there any questions? Can you sing for us? The Jets are gonna have to wait tonight. <laughs> I wish you guys could see my motion because it's really ridiculous right now. I wish we were on video chat because <gasps> I just like went balls to the walls on that. So moving on. The next one I want to discuss is... The Lion King. I had that as my uh, alarm for my, like my wake up alarm oh. for a while. Do you wake up feeling like the future king of everything the sun touches? The pride lands. The pride lands, Liz. I am a queen slash king every day of my life. I mean, she just can't wait to be king. I'm already queen. Mm, but did you kill your dad? Not yet. Is that the only <laughs> way? That's how it works, you guys, according to Shakespeare. Okay, so the synopsis Simba for those of you... Simba did not kill his dad. Yeah, Simba's not the one that does the murdering. Yeah, but there was murdering of the father. Right, but not by Simba. Can you let me get through this? <laughs> no. So, the synopsis for those of you who had no childhood... Uh, Mufasa, ruler of the Pride Lands, has a son named Simba. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa! Oh my god. That is my favorite Disney movie of all time. Mufasa's evil brother Scar plots to usurp power by murdering Mufasa and Simba in a wildebeest stampede. But Simba escapes alive. Just like in Shakespeare. Yes, just as Shakespeare wrote it. Simba <laughs> then returns back to his homeland where he has come to challenge Scar and take back power. Okay, so this is analogous to Macbeth. Hamlet, you are correct. Oh. <laughs> I said that in the beginning. Yeah, when you ruined my segment. So, Steph <laughs> ruins everything. 
get used to it. Hamlet was written sometime between 1599 and 1602. So it was one of his later works. The Connections. Both fathers die, quote, accidentally and transfer the power to uh, the uncles, be that Scar or Claudius in either situation. Also, there are a ton of characters that are the same or like direct correlations. I remember Zazu in Hamlet, the random toucan. (laughs) Most notably, Scar is the same character as Claudius, and Timon and Pumbaa are basically Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. (gasps) Timon and Pumbaa. Timon and Pumbaa. Hakuna Matata. Uh, Also, there's a scene in Hamlet where the father appears in a vision after his death to his son, just like in the clouds in in Lion King. Mm -hmm. And both Simba and Hamlet return to seek revenge on their evil uncle. So that's that, guys. That's that's how Lion King and Hamlet connect. I have a question. Yes. May May I help you, Elizabeth? Are the next two also going to be Shakespeare adaptations that are musicals? No. Ten Things I Hate About You is not a musical. God damn it, Steph! Why are you doing this? I, was, I didn't want to assume that she was going to go there. I'm so psychic. Ten Things I Hate About You is the next yes! one. It's, was produced the Taming in, of the Shrew. It's in 1990. You guys are ruining my fucking segment. I don't do this to you. I think we are enhancing your segment. You're, mm. Hey, you guys predicted the leeches in the Plague Doctor episode. Okay. You called that out immediately. Nobody predicted the urine. The uh, synopsis of 10 Things I Hate About You, for those of you who did not rent it every week at Blockbuster, like I did. Or watch it every week on uh, TBS. Nope. Every week, Blockbuster. Nothing else. Anyway. It was on TV all the time growing up beautiful younger sister Bianca Stratford can't date until her abrasive older sister Kat does. New kid Cameron James I never knew that was his last name, but that's IMDb. Tricks popular Joey Donner into paying outcast Patrick Verona to court Kat so Cameron and Joey can date Bianca. This is based on, of course, Taming of the, the Shrew. Taming of the Shrew, which was written between 1590 and 1592. The connections in this are pretty fucking obvious. First of all, the high school is named Padua High School, which is a direct connection to Padua, Italy, where the Taming of the Shrew takes place. The characters, Katerina and Bianca, are literally the same characters with the same name. Yeah, those sound very authentic. She wasn't Katarina, right? She was just Kate. Yes, she was. She gets referred to as Katarina by the father. Oh, really? I thought she was just like Catherine. Nope. Katarina. He asks if Katarina has made anyone cry today. And she says, sadly, no, but it's only 4.30. I can quote this whole movie. <laughs> I love this movie. Yes. Uh, so, she, so she is referred to as Katarina. So, Yes pulled directly from Shakespeare. And Patrick is a direct, uh, that is a direct reference to Petruchio, the character that Patrick plays, essentially. Uh, And Verona becomes Patrick's last name, not his hometown. So in the movie, it's Patrick Verona. In Taming of the Shrew, he is Petruchio from Verona. So they weren't subtle. No. This is like direct ripoffs. Additionally, the quote, 
I burn, I pine, I perish, which Cameron says in the very first introductory scene is also a direct quote from Taming of the Shrew. Wait, in the movie, Cameron is, um, what's his name? Is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes, the one interested in Bianca. Right. Okay, yes. Yeah, so he literally says, I burn, I pine, I perish in the movie. Those are the connections between 10 Things I Hate About You and Taming of the Shrew. And finally, last but not least, the 2006 film, She's the Man. This I did not see. Amanda Bynes. Okay. So, for those of you who are not familiar with the cinematic Amanda Bynes masterpiece... Doesn't she pretend to be a man to play soccer or something? I'm about to give you the fucking synopsis. I'm just trying to predict. We're engaging. I know, and it's... Silly. I'm sorry, would you like me to remain silent for your entire segment so you can just talk? I'm just saying, I wrote my notes so that you could easily comprehend. Well, Children. <laughs> when her school soccer program gets cut, Viola Hastings poses as her twin, Amanda Bynes, poses as her twin brother, Sebastian, to take his place at a new boarding school's team. Question, does she actually have a twin brother or does she invent a twin brother to pose as? She invents it. Viola in the movie invents a twin brother. No, she okay. has a twin brother, but the twin brother is in London for some reason. I don't recall, but he's in London for some reason. So she goes as him. So there is a real twin named Sebastian. Did she chop off all her hair? Yes, she did. Well, she wore a wig. That seems not sustainable for soccer. Practice. I mean, it's not great. But anyway, she falls in love with her roommate, Duke who loves the beautiful Olivia, who has fallen for, quote, Sebastian. When the real Sebastian returns from London earlier than expected, hilarity ensues. <laughs> what is the Shakespeare version of this? I don't think soccer was involved. The Shakespeare version is Twelfth Night, written from 1601 to 1602. Here are all of the connections. So Viola and Sebastian and Olivia don't even change their names. Like they didn't even try on those ones. Um, it's literally the same story, except they were playing soccer in Shakespeare, except they're playing soccer instead of surviving a shipwreck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Casual recreation sports versus surviving for your life. Yes. Did they turn to survival cannibalism? They did not. Not in the, I mean, not until after the I'm show I'm quite ends. surprised that Shakespeare didn't go there. He didn't, actually. Not that I'm aware of, at least. They didn't draw straws. Nope. Did they get scurvy? Unclear. So, in Twelfth Night, Viola and Sebastian are shipwrecked, and they're like, well, my sister's dead. Well, my brother's dead. Guess I have to live without them now. Wait, I'm sorry. They get separated, and they think the other one is oh, dead. Oh, they're separated in the shipwreck. Yes. You skipped that part. So it was like, they're shipwrecked together, and they think the other one's dead. I'm very confused, so. No, they're separated. They think the other one is dead. Okay. And they, like, it's literally the same story, just except. Except it's not. Why does she pretend to be her brother? Because she wants to play on, she wants to play soccer. Her school no. soccer team <laughs> no, gets cut. No, no. In Liz, they in are shipwrecked, and then she wants to play soccer. <laughs> 
Oh, so no. she pretends she chops off her hair and pretends to be her brother so that when she's rescued, she can play soccer. Follow the On the deserted line. island where they've stranded. God, Liz. <laughs> Except back then they called it football. But really, why would she have tried to play her brother in this scenario? In this life or death situation? I'm just going to read it straight from here since it's clearly confusing. So, the play centers on the twins, Viola and Sebastian, who are separated in a shipwreck. Viola, who's disguised as Cesaro, falls in love with Duke Orsino, who in turn is in love with Countess Olivia. Upon meeting Viola... I'm still... This does not explain why she's in disguise. And who is Cicero? Cicero is her alter ego. Okay. So she's not pretending to be her twin. Not in she's this one. Be, she's pretending to be some different man. In Twelfth Night, she's created her own thing. Why? She disguises herself as a young captain so that she can work for the Duke. Okay. Why? Because women can't work. And this is in the middle of the shipwreck? Or no, this is... Before going on the ship. This is wherever the shipwreck lands. It's in Illyria, the coast of Illyria. Okay. So she gets shipped. So they get shipwrecked and they are separated. And Viola's like, well, fuck, I used to have Sebastian who could do things for me. Now I have to fend for myself. I'll just pretend to be a dude and become this guy's like right hand man, the Duke Orsino. So she becomes Cesaro. Duke Orsino is like, look, I'm super in love with Olivia. Like, help me woo Olivia. Cesaro slash Viola goes over to be like, hey, you should totally do the Duke. And Olivia's like, oh, really? Because you're pretty hot. I think I'll try and do you. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sebastian fucking shows up. Sebastian gets entangled in this because. Does he fall in love with his twin as disguised? No. He's just like, Olivia thinks that Sebastian and Viola slash Cesaro are the same person. I'm so confused. Why? Because they're twins. I'm so confused. Follow the story. (laughs) So she, in her disguise, looks just like her brother. Correct. She's just dressing as what she would look like as a dude. And coincidentally, she has a twin who looks like her as a dude. Okay. I'm so confused. I'm getting it. Although it's not exactly the same (laughs) as the movie, (laughs) to be clear. Does she start singing like, be a man? The relationships, yeah. But the plot, no. That's that's Mulan. Are you fucking kidding me right now? (laughs) Swift as coursing river. That's not the same. That's a different... All the force of a great... That is a different woman dressing as a man to find her love. (sighs) So, my last note on this is that the drawback to the original Shakespeare is that there is no Channing Tatum like there is in She's the Man. I didn't remember Channing Tatum was in She's the Man. Channing Tatum. He's the roommate, Duke. Duke. He's the roommate. I had no idea. So Amanda Bynes falls in love with Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum wants some other chick. The other chick has it bad for Amanda Bynes. Classic love triangle. That old trope. (laughs) 
And that's it. We rip off Shakespeare all the time. Nothing new can ever exist again. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) I recommend everyone re-listen to that when they're sober. Maybe they'll understand it better than I did. I'm just saying, read more Shakespeare and you'll be fine. Sure. We all got the Taming of the Shrew one. I got the Aren't Lion you proud King. Of us? I did. Guys, you know, you're not the worst. Oh, <laughs> That's all we strive for. Strive for second best. You hit the bare minimum. You fucking love us. Shut up. Participation trophies all around. All right. Missouri Marathon Madness. So I'm talking about the 1904 Olympic Marathon. This is going to be a fun time. Can I tell you guys a story real fast? Yes. So I was driving the other day and I saw this bumper sticker. And you know how marathon runners usually have the like 26.2. Yeah. Uh, or like mm-hmm. the 13.1. This person just had 0.0 and that was it. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to be this person's I've, friend. I've seen those before. I if I put bumper stickers on my car, I would put that one. I, I am obsessed with it. Okay, continue. Well, fun fact about uh, marathon distance. The distance wasn't standardized until 1921. So the first uh, Olympic marathons and other marathons just like nationally and across the world weren't always the same distance. So 1904, they ran 24.85 miles. Not not a real a marathon. marathon. No. Boning it in. Doesn't it have something to do with the distance between like Athens and somewhere else? Yes, between Athens and Marathon. There was like oh. a runner who ran that far and then collapsed or something, wasn't there? Yes. So it comes from a legend or myth about a soldier slash messenger named Philippides. And so he was a Greek soldier, and he ran from the battlefield of Marathon to Athens to Hmm. tell the Athenians that they had defeated the Persians. And so this is about 490 BC. And so that distance is what it's the marathon is based on. Mm. Um, I think it's funny that, or not funny, but ironic that the only person to have historically run the marathon died immediately upon like... (laughs) finishing the marathon and then the olympic committee i think that should have been a sign was like you know what we should have a whole bunch of people do this <laughs> for fun or recreation and sport all the time he did it and died but maybe we should have other people try it and see what happens if you don't die you win did i tell you that my improv teacher literally ran the marine corps marathon and like won it like who is she what is that one of my um, like superiors at work has run a marathon in every single state. Wow. I run zero marathons and I intend to run zero. I would never want to do that, but like, good for you, bro. I hate running. Yeah. That's like my very least favorite kind of exercise. I've taken care of like in the ER, people who run marathons, they just like run themselves ragged essentially and they come into the ER either in like rhabdo which is like your muscles are breaking down and your everything hurts um or they're just like super dehydrated or they like faint or collapse or whatever like marathons are fucking dangerous they are whenever there's a marathon in a city that i'm working in like we get a bunch of them coming in 
Yeah, strong, strong pass on that. It's a sign that you should not be doing that to your body. Well, I will get to it. So the uh, marathon, as we discussed, historically uh, happened around 490 BC. And, but it actually wasn't part of the ancient Olympics. It was brought in for the modern Olympics. Um, so it was just sort of like a new thing that had come about. And the Olympic Committee decided that it would be a, quote, popularizing event. So it'd sort of be like the sort of like flagship keystone event of the Olympics. This is what would sort of bring in spectators and be like the big draw. Watching people run. Yeah, I don't Literally think it's the that worst. much of a... It's, the one that has like stood the test of time, but nobody actually watches the marathon on the Olympics. Everybody wants to no. know who won it, but nobody watches. Everyone it. just like stands at the finish line and is yeah. like, "Oh, look at that person who you know conceivably ran." Right this. to me, it's like watching NASCAR. Like NASCAR, you're just watching cars drive around in circles forever. Like watching a marathon, you're just watching people run. Like so intrigue it's not like they're pushing each other down or starting some kind of interesting conflict it's just like they run until they stop i don't get the appeal in watching it or doing it we're so much fun go ahead <laughs> <laughs> well the uh 1904 olympics was the first time america was hosting the modern olympics america, and america. we were hosting it in st louis sure when did the olympics start the modern Olympics started in 1896. What makes it modern? And it was in Athens. So there was like, I don't know what the dates for the ancient Olympics are, but there were like Olympic events a long ass time ago. And it was pretty much like just Greece. And then in modern times, they brought it back and made it international. So America's hosting for the first time. How well do you think we did? Not well, great. if we chose Missouri, not very well. Yeah, we're not making good decisions at that point. <laughs> we did so poorly that the Olympic Committee almost decided not to have marathons <laughs> ever again. So there was a discussion and they were like, you know, America really let us down here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we should probably eliminate this event. And someone lobbied hard for long distance running. Mm hmm. Okay. Tracy, you're ruining Liz's segment. I mean, I'm just summarizing. <laughs> Why Liz's are you segment. getting ahead of her? Stop ruining her segment. I'm not getting ahead of her. I am summarizing. I'm doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there had been marathons at the Olympics before. So I guess they did one in um, the initial modern Olympics in Greece in 1896. And then they did it again in Paris in 1900. Mm -hmm. But it was still like, it was a young sport. And the Olympics themselves were really young. Uh, but so the reason why, out of all the places in America, we chose St. Louis is because <laughs> it was also where uh, we were hosting the World's Fair. And so uh, we kind of mm. just like joined those two things together. So the Olympics were kind of, um, they weren't the highlight of what was happening in that place in time. There was also the World's Fair. For the World's Fair. So we're like serving funnel cakes as people are watching like the Olympics go down. Our elite athletes compete. I don't think the World's Fair is what you think it is. I'm imagining funnel cakes and Ferris wheels. I don't wheels. think it's a giant carnival. That's happening. No. The World's Fair is really, um, I mean, that's definitely part of it. Um, like the Chicago World's Fair had a lot of that like entertainment um, type attractions but it's also a venue to sort of like showcase your like 
discoveries and inventions and things like that. Yeah, your discoveries, your technological advancements, and, and architecture is a really big part of it, too. Yeah, it's not just like clowns and cotton candy. Yeah, it's an opportunity for a bunch of countries to get together and kind of like humble brag about all the cool things that like Yeah, that's definitely doing. not what I envisioned. <laughs> Tracy's just picturing a big circus. <laughs> like peanuts and popcorn and cotton candy and like elephants on... Funnel side. cake. I've Funnel said cake, it multiple yes. times. Flying elephants. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's what I want. This is the greatest show. It's essentially Hugh Jackman. Just Hugh Jackman for like four days. It's not at all what it is. <laughs> the World's Fair, which was happening simultaneously in St. Louis. Uh, and so why did they choose St. Louis for the World's Fair? Good question. Out of all of the options they have is because uh, the World's Fair was celebrating uh the 100-year anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase. So a great historical milestone. That's, that's not where St. Louis is. It's not in Louisiana. But the Louisiana Purchase covered a large swath of land. I mean, that was a huge purchase. There's many places in there. It's probably the biggest city in that giant area of land. Now I'm Googling. Because it's the flyover states, so like there's not much there. So it's probably the biggest city of I'm in a there. flyover state now. Get your shit Chicago, together. I mean, um, Chicago. Colorado's not a flyover state. Oh, <laughs> okay. I think Colorado's where the flyover states end. Because people go to Colorado. Mm. I like the flyover states of the Midwest. Hey, Denver was in the Louisiana Purchase. <laughs> oh, well, all right. That feels like something I should know. Okay, the keep going. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the reasons why the marathon might have turned out so poorly is because all of like the resources were being put into the World's Fair and the mm. Olympics themselves were kind of secondary. So let's talk specifically about how the marathon was organized, because that's the first part of the shit show. Let's do it. Instead of starting the race early in the morning when it's cooler, the organizers decided to start the race in the afternoon. Can I pause where for a second? temperatures? Yes. What time of, is this like Summer Olympics or Winter Olympics? So at this point in time, the Olympics hadn't been split. Okay. Oh, so it's just everything. So what time of year is this? So this was August 30th. <laughs> Ooh, that's August rough. in Missouri. That's mm-hmm. probably a temperate time. Dream vacay. Mm hmm. Temperatures reached 92 degrees in the afternoon, and with the humidity, the heat index was 135. Nope. Oh, Pass. my God. Super and pass. So instead of racing earlier in the morning when they'd be cooler, they were like, let's go peak heat. Yeah, that's... Oh. So we recently in Honolulu had a marathon. So I worked the, a shift that was like 5P to 3A in the morning. I can't go to sleep right away as soon as a shift ends. So I like was up watching TV and then all of a sudden I hear fireworks going off and it's like 4.30 in the morning. I look outside and the marathon started at five o'clock. So I see all these people like running down Gross. the street, like on the main highway, nope. essentially, like the main road, all these nope. hundreds of people just running down. I'm like, it is five o'clock in the goddamn morning and it's still dark out. Why are we running now? It's fucking ridiculous. Because it's cool. Because, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like do it at five o'clock in the morning. Because, I mean, it doesn't get that hot here. It's the winter. It's probably 
max in the low 80s at this point of year. But still, I was like, what the fuck? Who's up at five o'clock in the morning running? There's also the heat index is something to consider if it's really humid. Yes. No, but it does not get to 135 degrees heat index here. Oh, show. Well, in addition to the insane temperatures, the road for the race was not paved. And so this isn't a huge deal in itself in the early uh, marathons. And even in some modern marathons, the entire course isn't necessarily paved like dirt roads are common. But the road wasn't 30 feet above the sidewalk, correct? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there weren't ditches on the side where the sidewalks were there supposed ladders? to be. They didn't have that problem. Okay. Uh, But they did have dust problems. And so the country roads, because it was so dry and so dusty, um, that many runners had trouble breathing throughout the course. You don't need to breathe when you're running, do you? That's not important. This feels like an ill-conceived plan in general. I'm not a runner, so I don't know, but I can't imagine that would be that big a problem. So you had like runners kicking up dust and then you had... (laughs) vehicles on the road kicking up dust and so um at least one runner had to be taken to the hospital for internal injuries caused by breathing dust which coated his esophagus and caused hemorrhaging oh my god i'm drinking my water right now (laughs) many other runners also didn't finish the course at all because of these conditions why are there vehicles on the road well let me explain Funny you should ask. Because they didn't block off all the goddamn streets like they did in Honolulu so that no one can drive there? No, they didn't close the course. So runners were dodging like delivery wagons, railroad trains, trolley cars, people out walking their dogs, <laughs> mail delivery. Oh like, my just- god. <laughs> it's like an obstacle course. It's like the Spartan race of marathons. <laughs> it is. There's just like pedestrians. Like why? <laughs> yeah. So they didn't shut down these 24.85 miles. Sure. And so um they were coming across these vehicles, but also runners, um, some of the athletes had essentially like a training crew that followed them or went like ahead of them. And then there were also like race officials. And so those cars fought like followed the runners throughout the whole course to monitor the activities and to like help out their racers. I mean, I can see that a little bit like having some vehicles. I don't know now, maybe they have, maybe they have like police motorcycles or something or like, I don't know, but I can't imagine like just like the fucking mailman delivering mail (laughs) (laughs) while people are running. So yeah. So those are the conditions of the race course. And In addition to the crazy heat and all of the dust and all of the obstacles, the chief organizer of the Olympics decided uh, James E. Sullivan wanted to conduct research on, quote, purposeful dehydration, which apparently was a popular area of research. Like people were just starting to purposeful dehydration. Yeah, people were just starting to research dehydration and the effects on the body and so he purposefully only put one source of water on the course wait so these people were not like volunteers to be part of a study they were just like running a marathon he's like i'm not gonna give you water lol you thought you would be hydrated and (laughs) 
Yes. He put one well at the 11-mile mark, and that was it. Ooh. And uh, of the 32 uh, runners, only 14 actually finished the race which is the worst ratio of finishers in Olympic marathon history. Well, yeah. I also could not find what the results of his study were, like what he did with this information. I assume water is good. I feel like water (laughs) is good. (laughs) That's how the race was organized. There were a lot of other shenanigans happened that were attributed to the runners themselves. So to talk a little bit about the runners, um, I already mentioned that there were 32 competitors and they came from four nations. So we had the U.S., Greece, Cuba, and South Africa. Okay. The widespread. So some of the runners were veteran marathoners, like they had done Boston marathons or they had been in the two other earlier Olympic marathons. Many others, including all 10 of the Greek athletes, had never run a marathon before. Uh-oh. Oh. They had done other track and field events, so they were athletic, but they had just never... So, like, even in their training, they did not run that distance to prepare for this? That's what is, I think, implied from what I read. It could be that they had maybe run them in training, but not competitively. But it, it kind of sounded like they had just legitimately never run a marathon before. And especially Doing there were live. two, the two athletes from South Africa were Swana tribesmen, and they were both added last minute. So basically, I think that they were only here for the World's Fair, because they also do cultural exhibits at the World's Fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had never run a marathon before. And they were just kind of like recruited last minute uh, to participate in the race. Huh. So only 14 people finished the race. So there's a cutoff point, which means at least you, f- you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that in itself is a feat, like finishing in 135 degree heat index heat. Yeah. Yeah. They all did better than I would have. I wouldn't have even tried. I would have like got to the the starting line and been like, nope, nope, pass. I'm going to sit down. One of the South Africans was named Yamasani and he came in 12th place. And the second one was named Len Tao and he finished ninth place. But he probably would have finished sooner if he had not been run off the course by a pack of wild dogs. He was what? chased off the course for a mile and a half before he like outran or because like, they the didn't dogs block off the distracted. course. Yeah, so he was ran oh off God. course by a mile and a half and had to like return to the course and keep going. And so he probably would have finished faster. So he ran an actual marathon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, he had a mile and a half to his course and it was like 24 point something, right? So he probably yeah. ran a little more than an actual marathon. He should, he should definitely get some kind of acknowledgement for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, he does here now in this podcast. Did he get bit? No. The record does not indicate. He should have won. Did he adopt the wild dogs? Why would you want to adopt a dog that chased you off of? I was going to say off of your Olympic dreams, but these men did not dream of the Olympics. (laughs) They just showed up and were put in it. They literally just did it live. Like, just showed up. So the other runners. Let's talk about American runner Fred Lors. Yes, let's. He was the first one to cross the finish line. Good for him. America. Notice how I say he was the first across, USA. but he was not USA. the winner. USA. USA. 
What? Why was he not the winner, Liz? Well, nine miles into the race, he dropped out because he got cramps. Aww. Oh, buddy. I mean, he hasn't had water. I don't blame him. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this at all. So <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know how bad his cramps were. He was super dehydrated, probably. Well, he hitched a ride back to the stadium in one of the many cars that were on the road. And he even like was waving to people as he was going. Uh, but then at the 19th mile, the car got cramps. Shut the Wait, fuck up. <laughs> the car broke down. And so he had to leave the car and he jogged the rest of the race back to the stadium. Wait, so he was picked up at what mile marker? He was picked up at nine. And they took him to 19. So he basically didn't run the race. <laughs> yeah. He didn't run half the race almost. Right. He skipped 10 miles of the 24 mile race. <laughs> I love it. That's the way to do That's it. That's how I want to do a marathon. It's just yeah. like... That's the way to do it. People pick me up in a car and take me to the next mile marker. So the car breaks down. He re-enters the race um, and crosses the finish line before anybody else. And so the spectators and the judges that are at the stadium, they don't know what's going on. Uh, there's no like live coverage of the race. And so they don't, they're not notified. They didn't have it on TV at the time. See, this is why you have to actually watch it because otherwise you can do what Steph and I wanted to do. <laughs> you can't watch the whole race from start to finish. There's no way you can see the whole 24 point whatever miles. So you're either going to watch the beginning or the end or somewhere in the middle. There's no TV coverage. Yeah. So this guy crosses the finish line and to everybody in the stadium, they're just like, oh, he's first. He won. And so, so he fast. even got his photograph taken with Alice Roosevelt, the first daughter. <laughs> and he was given like his medal and a bouquet or whatever. And he didn't say anything until he was finally confronted by officials. He didn't say anything. What a dick. <laughs> yeah. So he claimed that um, it was all a joke, but the Amateur Athletic Union mm. banned him from competing mm. for life. Um, and so that was an American marathon ban, not like an Olympic ban. Um, but he was reinstated a few years later after he apologized. And they basically gave him some slack because he had not intended to defraud. So he was going to ride through Right. The stadium in a car. Um, and he wasn't oh, intending. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, like he, he took himself out of the race and he wasn't intending to enter on foot. Like he, he just ended up entering on foot because his car broke down and then he right. got all like swept up in the hype and he acknowledged that he should have said something, but he was just like into what was happening mm. and ran with it. Um, so they, they let him continue competing because it wasn't his intent to trick or defraud all right the olympics yeah, yeah but so they they took his medal away and they gave it to the next person and that is british-born thomas hicks who was running for the united states why was he running for the united states if he was british in a lot of cases um if you have like dual citizenship you can uh run for either country um and also it depends on um, a bunch of factors, but it could be uh, where you're predominantly like raised, so it might not have anything to do with your citizenship or like your birthright. He also could have been American, uh, like had American parents, but was just 
yeah born in Britain. yeah it happens i meant to look this up too there are some athletes that have competed in the modern olympics for countries that they've never been to how does that work there's weird ways i think that like you can qualify to compete for for a country yeah but i feel like you have to either you have to be like I, I have no idea, actually. I'm looking it up. You probably have to trace your lineage, at least, to it, I would imagine. Like, I've never been to Germany, but I'm mostly German, so I could, theoretically, in, in this scenario, like, maybe I could somehow trace my lineage to Germany and compete for Germany. I don't know. So the Olympic Charter requires only that an athlete be a national of the country for which he or she is competing. It has to be three years after you last competed for the country of origin. So, like. Steph, if you competed in the twenty like the twenty ten Olympics for the U.S., you would have to wait until the twenty fourteen Olympics to compete for any other nation. It's also a strategy that you can use if you can't qualify. Like if you're yeah. not that great of an athlete to qualify against other athletes from your country, yeah, then you can like become a national of another country that's not represented in that sport very well, and. That way you can qualify. And to be a national doesn't mean you're a citizen. No. You don't get like a citizenship in that country. Those are two distinctions. A national as a person owing permanent allegiance to that state. I wonder what that entails. I don't know. Did I tell you guys that my family is uh, applying for Italian citizenship? Like dual citizenship? No. No. Why? Uh, Well, my grandmother... Her family is from Sicily, and apparently there's, like, apparently, I guess, Italy wants more people to come there and be citizens because they have, like, a low birth rate and their economy is not great right now. So they're trying to get people to come, which is why they're, like, super lenient about this. But there's, like, laws that allow people with, like, lineage from Italy to, like, get Italian citizenship. So me and my sister and aunt and my dad... And also my mom, I think, qualifies too, even though she's just through marriage, can all potentially qualify for Italian citizenship. It's like a four-year process. I'm like, not four years, but like it's a really long-ass process, so it's not going to happen anytime soon. But we just like pay some money and someone does the paperwork and then we can get like a dual passport or something. That's crazy. Even though I'm only a quarter Sicilian. Croatia, you have to be born there. Ireland, maybe. I'm still reading on Google. Well, I'm moving on. So Thomas Hicks was aided by measures that would not be permitted in later years in this sport or any other. Oh. So 10 miles from the finish line. He was doping. Essentially, yes. Oh, cool. Uh, He was struggling really, really hard. So what you were describing earlier, Steph, but people that come in from marathons with like into the emergency room. Dehydration Mm -hmm. and rhabdo. What is rhabdo? Rhabdo is when like your muscles are breaking down, essentially. Yeah. That's what it sounds like uh, Thomas Hicks was suffering from. So he, he had to be restrained from just like stopping and lying down. Um, he, he wanted to just like stop running and just like curl up into a ball. <laughs> Same, bro. Same. And his trainers were just like prodding him on. Like, you have to keep going. That's like how I feel anytime even anyone even suggests that I run. I'm like, no, I'm going to curl mm-hmm. into a ball. Thanks. So f- for those last 10 miles, they gave him several doses of strychnine, which is a common rat poison. Oh. 
That is not what I thought, where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> How does the rat poison help your athletic? It's known to stimulate the nervous system in small doses. Uh, so it kind of just helps like get, pick you up and keep you going. And it was the first recorded instance of drug use in the Olympics. Literally the first Olympics. Oh, no, not the first Olympics. The yeah. first marathon. In no, the also not the first marathon. Oh, God damn it. The first U.S. Olympics. <laughs> that's where you're going. Yes, the first that was U.S. It. Olympics. It was the first something. It was the first something. But, like, the fact that they had it on hand. Yeah, they were just like, oh, reach into your purse and get some rat poison. Like, like they were ready. Yeah, I assume maybe they had anticipated this because they needed it in, needed it in training. Um, but the Olympics did not have rules against performance enhancers at this time. I guess they didn't anticipate that people would be rat poisoning right. themselves to try to finish an event. So he continued to battle onwards. He was hallucinating. He was barely able to walk. He was begging for food and he was begging to lie down and they just gave him rat poison with egg whites and brandy. Oh, you're oh. hungry? Oh, you're oh. thirsty? Have some rat poison. That'll make you feel better. With egg whites and brandy. Oh, oh. I hate it. When you're running, do you want eggs? <laughs> or alcohol? I don't want eggs now. Well, isn't that what Rocky just like drinks whisk But eggs? not whilst running. That's like his protein shake, essentially. Yeah, I think he's resting during that. Isn't he always being athletic, though? Not when he's mixing a egg white milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> he's just always on point. Ugh. Well, when he reached the stadium, his support team basically carried him over the finish line. So they were holding him up on both sides while his feet just like shuffled in the air. That is not finishing. Over the finish line. And he's hallucinating actively. Yeah. That he's swimming or something. And probably vomiting like eggs and brandy. Does it count if you're carried across the finish line? Apparently. The judges decided that was acceptable. I think at this point, they were just like fed up. They had already been spoofed by the first guy, Fred, who didn't actually run half the race. And I think they were just like fucking fed up with all this shit. And they just said, fine, we can give him the medal. So this is the this is the guy who won. Yes. This is the guy who got the medal. Yeah. Yes. This is the gold medal. So like there's no requirement that like your feet have to be touching the ground. As you cross the finish line. Maybe they just didn't anticipate that someone would need to be carried. I would think that being held up by two people would be the disqualifier. (laughs) You could jump over the finish line. Like you're being held up and your feet are not even touching the ground and you're being like carried across and that counts. Yeah, I think at this point, the judges and the organizers just recognized that this whole thing was a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, they just needed to give a medal to somebody. And uh, and shut it down. Give it to the next guy. (laughs) We're done. We're done. Oh, my goodness. Um, And so Thomas Hicks lost eight pounds over the course of that one marathon. Jesus. Yeah, And it's mostly water weight because they wouldn't give him goddamn water. Yeah, that can't be good. My favorite athlete at this Olympics was the Cuban runner named Andarin Carvajal. I tried it. Tried it. That was beautiful. Mm hmm. So he earned the money to attend the Olympics by running the length of Cuba as sort of like a promotional charity type thing or something um, to fundraise. And so you might be thinking, oh, well, that's really like admirable. How long is Cuba? He's a very serious athlete. Sure. No one's answering my question. 
I don't. Oh, I thought you were looking it up. I thought you were looking it up. No, I'm asking. Yeah. How I thought you knew how long oh. is Cuba? Like, how long? <laughs> did listen, there's for? so many statistics for the Olympics that I could not gather all of the data. Oh my god, what is his it's, name? Uh, 780 miles long. Okay, so many marathons. Okay, go ahead. Many, many marathons. So he earns the money to attend the Olympics, which, as a reminder, was in St. Louis, Missouri, but he went. To New Orleans. Oh no! Wait, what? He went on purpose, though. I was gonna say it wasn't um, a mistake. He didn't catch the wrong, the wrong flight or the wrong boat. Is this like the time that Craig didn't know he was in Panama, the country, when he thought he was supposed to be in Panama, Florida, City, Panama City, Florida? <laughs> yeah. Is this like that? Not quite. No. Okay. He, he he knew exactly what he was so, doing. Fun fact. Okay. Cuba is. 823,680 Tracy's long. Oh. <laughs> we do measure in Tracy's now. That's, That's that like is what you true. were saying in the last episode about jelly beans. Like at some point it just becomes valueless. Like that doesn't mean anything. Wow. That's a lot of Tracy's. A lot of Tracy's. The more Tracy's God than anyone needs. We don't need that many Tracy's. Nobody needs that many Tracy's. I'm a Tracy and I think we don't need that. <laughs> I say a Tracy as if there are like multiple Tracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there probably are. I haven't searched on Facebook. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, I was thinking like alternate universes. That too. Oh my God. In the different timelines, there are different Tracy's. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Just consider that for a minute and continue. I'm scared. So he went to New Orleans specifically because he was a gambler. And so he thought he'd have a little bit of fun before going to the Olympics. So he stayed there and gambled away all of his money and then hitchhiked to St. Louis. <laughs> and he didn't like responsibly hitchhike the day before and then get a good night's rest and then show up, you know, all well rested for the Olympics. No, he like hitchhiked straight to the starting line oh, with minutes oh, to spare. That is 677.3 miles. All right. That's a lot of That's miles. a lot of miles. Like an eight hour drive in... You know, with today's highways. I don't know what it was back then. It's a lot of Tracy's, you guys. It's a lot of Tracy's. It's a lot of Tracy's. Not as many as Cuba, but a lot of Tracy's. So he shows up and he is still wearing his gambling clothes. So basically like his dress slacks and shoes and a beret. Uh, like he doesn't have anything else with him to run. He's wearing dress shoes. Oh. Yeah, well, he was gambling, and it's, you know, the early 1900s, so men who go out, like, they're not wearing sneakers. You know, it's, it's, you make a thing out of it. Was his plan to run in dress shoes? Well, I, I think that things did not quite go according to his plan. I don't know what his plan was, but I think that this was not it. Did he have a plan? I, I cannot answer that. Okay, go on. So another runner helps him cut uh, his pants uh, so that they kind of resemble shorts <laughs> to help him run. <laughs> and he races. However, not having eaten in 40 hours, because he was oh. just like on a crazy gambling spree. Oh my God. He got real hangry. Did he eat anybody on the track? Not homicidally hangry. He did not kill and eat anybody on the track. I mean, that's an accomplishment. Uh, but he did get into some fun shenanigans. At one point, he stopped at a car. So as I mentioned, the uh, course was not closed and people were just going about their lives in the middle of the marathon. Sure. And he saw that 
the passengers in the car were eating peaches. <laughs> As you do. And he asked them for for a peach because he was hungry. And they were like, no, man, sorry. These are ours. And so he just reached in and he snatched two peaches and ran off with one in each hand. I assume <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Hashtag hero, go ahead. <laughs> uh, the peaches, though, weren't enough. Oh, no. You're saying that in 40 hours, two peaches is not enough to sustain you? What? He next stopped in an orchard, which happened to be along the route, to have another <laughs> snack. Sure. But this time, the apples were rotten, and he got a little tummy ache. Oh, no. So he lay down and took a nap on the side of the road. Yes, my man. I like him more and more every... He is my favorite. And so (laughs) it's unclear how long he napped for, but he still managed to get back up and finish the race and come in fourth place. So he he kind of crushed it. He is the hero we didn't know we needed. But can you also imagine being one of any of the other runners that yeah, it's still like this placed guy fucking after took him. A nap and yeah, like, he took a nap and you're still, you can't outrun him. And he showed up in dress shoes and cut off dress pants. <laughs> he hasn't eaten anything or drank in 48 hours. I love it so much. How do I become this guy? He was definitely my favorite. Um, <sighs> so those are all hero. of the shenanigans that happened at the 1904 Olympics. And if you were wondering, well, was the women's marathon this much of a shit show? And the answer is no, because women didn't run in the Olympic marathons for another 80 goddamn years. Hashtag burn the patriarchy down. Wait, 80 years? Yes. We didn't run until what 1980s? Well, we never ran. Yeah, the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984 was the first women's Olympic marathon. God damn it. In fact, in the 1904 Olympics, um, there were no uh, women in the marathon, but there were six women athletes all together in the whole thing. So for perspective, there were 645 men. (laughs) And the six women all did archery. And they were all from the U.S. Archery, really? Mm-hmm. Why huh. archery? Is archery still in the Olympics? Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. They have all kinds of different archery things happening. There's that event where they do like, not a triathlon. Um, what's it called? Oh. It has like 10 events. And they do it in like the Winter Olympics where they like cross country ski. It's like biathlon or something. Yeah, they like cross country ski and then they just like stop skiing. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, and you like shoot, shoot arrows. arrows. Yeah. Oh, that's the shoot. No, that's shooting. It's shooting, that right? Archery? No, cross country skiing and rifle shooting is the biathlon. Okay. But there is archery still in the Olympics. Yes, for sure. All right. That's a useful skill. Archery biathlon. That's the. Oh, wait, hold on. So it used to be a bow and arrow, and now it's a rifle, but they still have archery. Cool. Yeah, they have individual archery. Cool, cool, cool. So that is the shit show of the St. Louis Marathon. Okay, uh, go ahead, Steph. Steph. So I am going to talk about the Bridge of Death which is the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. Ooh. 
Ooh. A lot of people died. I a get lot it. of people died. Ooh. So the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge started in 1870 and it opened in 1883. So it took a long ass time. Yeah. It connects Manhattan and Brooklyn over the East River and it's probably cursed. <laughs> cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Can I see ghosts there? Curse and haunted are different things. Yeah, you're talking about haunted. I mean, it's probably a little of both because there was enough death and tragedy on it that there's probably ghosts there. Not that I believe in ghosts, but if there were ghosts, they would be there. Cool. So um, the death and tragedy started pretty much immediately. So John A. Roebling, he was a German engineer, an inventor, a businessman. He had his hands in a whole bunch of shit. He founded a town. He created a wire rope company. Um, kind of just did a bunch of shit all over the place, but he was probably crazy. Uh, he, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he sounds like a very accomplished crazy man. Yes. He was a very accomplished yeah. crazy man. Like I said, he did a lot of things, but he was also batshit crazy. He once broke a donkey's neck because he was quote Why? unquote dallying what? on the job. The donkey was dallying. The donkey was Oh yeah, no. He's a he's kind of a shithole too. Um, he beat his son Edmund so badly that he ran away to a prison in Philadelphia. He would rather be incarcerated. He would rather be in prison than be with his father. So he ran away to prison to be with to be away from his dad, and he reportedly enjoyed life for the first time there. Oh, did he have a prison bitch? I mean, I don't. I didn't get the details of that. Mm. He was just happier in prison than at home. He uh, entered himself into the prison as a common vagrant. I was going to ask how you just like volunteer for prison. I don't, I didn't <laughs> find, I looked a little bit, not too much. I didn't find the answer to that, but he like, so this is the quote that I found. He said he, he had himself entered as a common vagrant to get away from his father. Jesus. Yeah. So I guess you can just like, at that time, just show up at prison and be like, I did bad things. Take me in. I need rehabilitation. (laughs) Do you also get to decide your own sentence? Like, please book me for five years. I've been bad. Please do something about it. Also, that costs a lot of money to the government. And I think that's not cool. It's not cool to pretend to be a criminal. Yeah, you need to actually become a criminal. Just to get the benefits of prison. You should actually go out and commit a crime so that you can earn your way to prison. Exactly. No free ride. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's how crazy his father was that he drove him to prison. John Roebling was actually the first victim of the bridge. So in 1969, the year before the construction actually started, he was standing on a ferry slip doing like surveillance, I guess just kind of like getting measurements and surveying the area before any construction started. And like where he was standing on that ferry slip, a boat just like ran into it and smashed his foot. I guess I'm like, how fast was this boat going that he couldn't just like take a step back? Well, I was thinking this was going to be so much worse than his crushed his foot. Well, I mean, it gets worse than that. <laughs> I thought this was going to go to just like Damn. crushed his body. No, no, no. It into crushed a his pulp. foot. He okay. was rushed to emergency medical care where he had to have 
a few of his toes emergently amputated. And because he's a crazy son of a bitch, he demanded they don't use anesthesia. So they just like fully awake, just chop his toes off. And then he contracted tetanus and 28 days later he died. I mean, yeah, that's not great. So, I mean, it was a little bit worse than just like his foot got crushed. But still, like how fast was this boat going that he couldn't just like step back when he saw it coming? Anyway, so he dies of tetanus, which is an awful way to die. If people don't know what tetanus is, it pretty much is like, it makes all of your muscles just like contract painfully. That's where you get the lockjaw and mm. uh, you're totally like awake and with it while this is all going on. So it's pretty terrible. I've never personally seen it. It's pretty rare nowadays, but I hear it sucks really hard. We have shots for it. Oh, yeah. It still happens. Like it still exists in the world. It's not eradicated, but. Uh, I've known people who have taken care of tetanus patients, but it's not very common at all anymore. Get your tetanus boosters, everyone. So his son, Washington Roebling, who was 32 years old at the time, so as old as me and Tracy, took over. And Washington was a crazy badass in his own right. He was a Civil War veteran. He fought in Gettysburg and Antietam. 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 Ant- I know what you're saying. Antietam. I don't know how to say it, but I can picture it because I've read it before. Yeah, tried it. That place. Um, and the Wilderness Campaign, which I didn't know anything about the Wilderness Campaign, but I read that it was a, uh, a battle that could perhaps be best described as a Vietnam-style jungle warfare with a dose of deliverance thrown in for flavor. And this was where? This was during the Civil War. This is in Virginia, I believe. Okay. okay. But anyway, apparently it was a really violent... Uh, bloody campaign in the Civil War that he was a part of. And he also did aerial reconnaissance, which at that time, in the Civil War time, involved him floating over a battlefield in a balloon and he got shot at. So he was probably also as crazy as his father was. So he took over building the bridge. So the construction started in 1870, so the way they built the bridge is they had these things called caissons. Uh, I think I'm saying that right, caissons, which were these giant boxes made out of steel and wood. Steel and wood on all the sides, except the bottom was open, and they would like lower them into the water so that the open part on the bottom would go to the floor of the river, like the riverbed. So that, Mm -hmm. uh, and like they put like pressurized air inside of it so that it was like, you know, there was air inside and they could go inside these caissons and go to like the riverbed and start digging it up. So it was like making a vertical tunnel. Essentially. In the water column. Yes. Like a diving bell, essentially, except giant and made of wood and steel. And the men that worked inside of these were called sand hogs. So pretty much they would go into these things and like dig up the, the ground. And then, like, get deeper and deeper until they found, like, foundation that was firm enough to start, like, building the bridge upwards from. And these caissons were poorly ventilated. They were filled with, like, pressurized air. And they had, like, gas lamps inside of them. How big were, like, how many men could fit down in a caisson at a time? Uh, I don't remember exactly. I didn't write it down. But I think, like... A lot, like hundreds, maybe a hundred or something men could fit in these at oh, once. Okay. There was a lot of people working these things. They're huge. And they could like all fit inside and work at the bottom of it and be digging up the I mean, ground. I suppose if this is essentially going to be the foundation for a bridge, then yes, it would it's, have it's to be huge. Yeah. sizable. Yeah. 
uh, like I said, poorly ventilated, filled with pressurized air, lit with gas lamps. And pretty much any little problem could lead to like absolute fatal disaster. Like if there was a leak, if there was a problem with like the air pumps, if there was a fire, which there were many, uh, it could just depressurize the whole thing and make the water rise from the bottom and just like kill everyone inside of it. And let me guess, this happened. A few times. <laughs> oh, which way? <laughs> All, All of the above. <laughs> this is a really fucking dangerous job. And also, to make matters worse, sometimes to like, if the ground was too hard to just like dig into it, they would use explosives. So you're in a box made of steel and wood. And you're setting off explosives at the bottom of a river. What could go wrong? Sounds ill-advised. You would think. I mean, it was fine. No big deal, except there was the great blowout of December 1870. The great blowout. blowout. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they call, like, final sales at, like, (laughs) department stores and malls or something like that. Like, the end of season blowout. Well, it could be that, or it could be when the case on roof catches fire. Oh. (laughs) Anybody's guess. That's, like, what moms say is, like, if if a baby, like, poops and Blew it blows their up their diaper. Yeah, that's what I immediately thought of when you said the blowout. That's what you immediately thought of. And that's how you know that Tracy is more likely to be a mother <laughs> out it? of all of us. Is <laughs> that <laughs> thought never even occurred to me. Because diapers never would have come to us. Yeah. Absolutely not. Well, what it should have come to, what we should have thought of was blowout, like hair blowout. Oh, yeah, we didn't actually, think about, yeah, none of us a thought great of that. blowout, yeah. Mm. That would be really insensitive to open a like a blowout bar over the bridge. Womp womp. <laughs> Billion dollar idea. Like a Sweeney Todd barbershop. <laughs> well, what it really was was when one of the caissons ca- caught fire on the roof and okay. delayed things by several months. Okay, fab. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, so the workers were paid $2.25 per day. Ooh, big money. Adjusted for inflation, though. That would mean that today they were making $47.66 per day. That's good. Oh, per day. Oh, per day. Oh, I'm per day. thinking hour. <laughs> no, no, no. Also, oh, no. it's 47 cents. 47.66 per day. <laughs> to work yeah. in a giant box filled with explosives that catch fire and leak very easily. Yeah, I feel okay saying no to that one. I'd rather run a marathon. Ooh. That's saying something. Not good. I don't know. You could die of that too. Or I could get a ride and then <laughs> win it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thought. Or I could just stop and catch a ride. Yeah, exactly. Um, a third of the sand hogs quit every week because, duh. Yeah, because they value themselves. High turnover. Did they quit or did they die? I mean, a little of column A, a little of column B. <laughs> I mean, this feels like we didn't separate this out in the statistics. <laughs> It said a third quit every week. Mm-hmm. Quit living or quit the job? 
I did not <laughs> dig into that, but many did die. Okay, great. So, hundreds of sand hogs developed what's called caisson disease, which today we know to be the bends. Oh. I don't know what that is. You've never heard of the bends? If you were scuba dive trained, you would. Yes. Which I'm not. So, for those of you who are not scuba certified and have never heard of the bends, pretty much in simple terms, when you go to depth, so like when scuba divers go to depth and their, wa- their body is under the water and under the increased pressure of the water around them, or like in this case, they were in these caissons with the pressurized air at a very deep depth, there's more mm-hmm. pressure on their bodies than at atmosphere, like at, mm-hmm. at the surface. So if you're at that depth for a long time and then you come up too quickly... Mm-hmm. your body develops nitrogen bubbles that are released into your bloodstream and they can cause symptoms of the bends. That is the simplest way I can explain it. The nitrogen bubbles release into your bloodstream and this is what happens. So these men would come out of the caissons and they would come to the surface. Wait, but what are the, but what are the symptoms of the bends? Like, I'm going into it right now. Okay, go ahead. They would come up from these caissons, get to the surface, and they would have muscle paralysis, mm-hmm. slurred speech, Vomiting, abdominal pain, chills, and joint pain, among other things. They might have, like, confusion and things like that, too. Okay. So at least five died. Um, And from Wikipedia, quote, Despite the high turnover rate, only a few workers were paralyzed. Oh! (laughs) That's a cheerful way to tell us that. Because if they weren't paralyzed, they were dead. Yeah, exactly. You can recover from the bends. They're not included in that statistic because they are dead. Yes. Only a few were paralyzed. The rest were dead. No, I'm just kidding. They weren't all dead. But you can recover from the bends. But you can also have like permanent paralysis or neurological deficits. It just seems like it would be a lot harder to recover it from it back then. Like how yeah. did they treat it? Yeah, I don't. That I'm not sure of. I think they just kind of waited it out. Because <laughs> I mean, it's it like the 18... 18- 80s. Walk it off. <laughs> they put, because they got a chicken. <laughs> oh, God. They, <laughs> they the strapped dress. it to their... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they strapped it to their armpit, and they waited. That's still my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Routinely wash the chicken with urine. Exactly. Exactly. And then you don't have the bends anymore. We cured it. We cured the bends. <laughs> the end. No. So now we have, like, decompression chambers, like, here in Hawaii, obviously, like... Diving is more common. We have decompression chambers more readily available than probably like Tracy does in Colorado. I'm sure it still exists there, but it's not. Well, here we have the opposite problem where we have altitude. So we have oxygen bars that are like readily available for people. Altitude sickness generally improves when you come down from altitude versus this, which the problem starts when you get back to normal. Sure. Yeah. And I never read the chapter in the book that I got, but there are like special skills training for diving at altitude, like in Denver where you are. are. Yeah. Yeah. If you're diving in a body of water at altitude. Yeah. Because the whole pressure thing, it really changes things. Yeah. It really fucks things up. I mean, at atmospheric pressure, you're at like 14 point something pounds per square inch, I think. And like in these caissons, they were at 21 on one side and 35 pounds per square inch on the other side. So this is like, Two to three times almost the amount of pressure you are at atmosphere, and they didn't have any understanding of what was going on. They would just like come up from these caissons and are like, I can't move my leg. 
how far down were they? Like, how deep were these things? Um, the East River is about 40 feet deep, is what I was reading here right now. Okay, I was thinking, like, hundreds, but that's not terribly bad. But if you're down there for a long time... Yeah, if you're down there for a fast. long time and... Like, your whole shift. Exactly. Yeah. And I imagine their shifts were, like, 16 hours because labor laws. Correct. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it's deep enough that if you stay down there for a long time, you're going to get problems, apparently. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, when we're scuba diving, if you go to like 35, 40 feet and you go up without a surface interval, you're not going to get the bends. Okay. Yeah. If you go deeper than that, you need what's called a surface interval, which is if you go to like 15 feet below the surface and you hang out there for like three minutes, and that's to let the oxygen... It's like an the, intermediate pressure to let yeah, some of the nitrogen... It lets the nitrogen kind of like come off your body. And yes. then you go up so you mm-hmm, don't get the mm-hmm. bends. A little bit of scuba history, a scuba facts for you. And like, how long did it take? What? What? Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. What were the means by which they came out of the caissons? Like, were there elevators? Were they, did they climb up giant ass ladders? Like, how do they come in and out of these things? Hmm. I'm just wondering how you could ascend so fast. I feel like a ladder is the only option. My assumption is a ladder, but I did not read that part of it. So, Washington Roebling himself was crippled by the Benz slash caisson disease. So, in 1870, there was a fire in a caisson. I'm not sure if this was the Great Blowout or if this was a different fire because there were numerous fires. Great um, Blowout, number two. It was, it was a blowout. There was a fire in a caisson. Um, it was the okay blowout. <laughs> it's a decent blowout. Is this like that song where it goes, and the caissons keep rolling along? Caissons wouldn't roll. Because it's high. No. What are you singing? It's the caisson song. It's the original U.S. Army song. The caissons keep... There's got to be another definition for caisson then. These things don't roll. They sit in the water. Over hill, over dale, we will hit the dusty trail, and the caissons keep rolling along. No? That sounds familiar. I don't know. I'm going to move on. Okay, go ahead. So, Washington went down into the caisson to fight the fire for several hours that day. When he came out of the caisson, he couldn't walk. Like, his legs physically wouldn't move. Hmm. And someone had to, like, physically carry him home. And when he got home... Uh, doctors came and did their old-timey medicine, which was rubbing whiskey and salt all over his body. Oh, <laughs> yes. To improve his circulation. Not sure. tequila and salt? <laughs> not tequila and salt. A <laughs> little bit of lime. They're not licking him. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they might have. I didn't say that, but... I think it was implied. They probably should have just gotten a chicken or maybe bathed him in urine, gave him some crushed emeralds. I don't know. You know, there are so many options here. Whiskey and salt is a new one to me. You don't prescribe that to your patients in the ER. You know, I haven't actually taken care of somebody with the bends yet in Hawaii. And when you do, you will prescribe them a topical whiskey and salt. Just like pour the salt into the whiskey, rub it around, like stir it up and rub it around on your body. Wait. Do not ingest. I would think you would pour the whiskey into the salt and make like a paste. You could do that, too. It's, it's all about the We pastes. don't know the proportions, Liz. We don't know the proportions. <laughs> I don't know the proportions. Is it a paste? Is it a, a solution? 
I'm not sure. Mm. Is it like it's the snake? Unclear. Is it like the snake body paste? You know what you should give them is also uh, some egg and strychnine. Is it like a bath that also probably helps? Egg whites specifically and strychnine that might also help. He fought the the fire for several hours. Went home, got bathed in whiskey and salt. Sure. Went back the next day to continue fighting the fire, which begs the question: Did you just abandon the fire overnight and come back to it? Like I'm, I'm not a firefighter. It'll stay there. <laughs> I'm not an expert in this. I feel like it's something you need to keep doing until it's done, not just like clock out and come back. Firefighters, write in. Let us know. All the fires, <laughs> firefighters listening in. <laughs> they might be. You don't know. So because of his heroic efforts to fight this fire in the caisson, he ended up bedridden for 13 years. Jesus. Years. It's a bad case, man. Years. He became addicted to morphine and painkillers, obviously. As you would. As you, as you do if you're bedridden for 13 fucking years. I don't blame you. Yeah, for sure. But he continued to oversee the project from home. And the way he did that was by watching with a telescope from his bed. <laughs> awesome. The only way that would be better is if he was like, and they bought him a pair of opera binoculars. <laughs> I was thinking like a drone. No. no, no, this is the 1870s. The ancient drone times. He watched with a telescope from home. Also his wife, Emily, he used her essentially as a, um, like messenger as a go-between so she would like deliver messages from him to the work site and like report back to him what was going on and like through all of her work she actually became an engineer herself so go girl Mm. 1870s woman engineer way to capitalize on that shit right it's like who was the first lady that was basically the president oh i don't know but um courtney cox played her in the drunk history version (laughs) that's what i remember it's not helpful it was edith wilson first lady to woodrow sorry uh woodrow wilson woodrow wilson yes all right good to know okay continue um and she actually became the first person to ever walk across the bridge again go girl she's crushing it she is i want to do an episode on her on emily Robling, I don't think there's probably much about her. She was a woman. Who walked across the bridge. She was the first person to walk across the bridge. That's pretty cool. That's it. That's all the information. She became an engineer. She delivered messages and she walked across the bridge. The end. So throughout the construction, 27 to 40 people were killed, either through falls or falling stones or crashing derricks. Derricks were these like crane machines. Um, so in 1871, there was a pair of these derricks that suddenly dropped, which caused a wood beam to go flying and take off half of a man's head. Ooh, just half. Yeah. So the wood wooden beam came down, took off half this guy's head. Another man got crushed by the derrick mast. Crushed by the derrick. (laughs) Sorry, I'm picturing a guy named Derek. Keep going. (laughs) A third man died leaping to safety. <laughs> he did not get there. No. Oh, no. <laughs> nope. He did not get to safety. And a fourth man died. Well, no, a fourth man was injured 
and later, quote, succumbed to his injuries. I could not find more about this. Okay. Probably got tetanus. There was one time that a cable strand came, uh, like, snapped, came undone, and, like, knocked two men off the bridge, and they died. Uh, This one is the saddest. Neil Mullen. He was a widower. He had five children. Oh, single dad. Three days before Christmas. That's my birthday! Yeah, on Tracy's birthday, he was <laughs> killed oh. when a support arch gave way where he was standing and he fell. Oh. So he now there's five orphans three days before Christmas. Oh. Saddest fucking story ever. Oh. And there was another man, Peter Cope. His job was to like guide a rope on this hoisting engine thing. So like pretty much he was just like guiding the rope into the right position. Okay. The rope caught his foot wrapped his leg around the engine drum and he pretty much died immediately. Like yeah. His body just got like wrapped around this Holy drum. Holy shit. Yeah. That is not the way to go, my friend. No. At least it was fast. I guess. So lots of tragedy, lots of death on the bridge. Uh, it was completed in 1883 after lots of death. There was also like a lot of financial issues. Um, they were like at points they needed to like ask for more money and for more time. Things got delayed left and right after all these disasters happened. Lots of setbacks, death, disasters, fire, etc. Sure. But it was done in 1883. Emily walked across like a badass. Mm-hmm. She had that swagger. She did have the swagger. But the deaths did not stop there. Less than a week after it opened on Memorial Day... Uh, A woman who was walking across the bridge, there was some stairs on the bridge. She slipped on a stair, and then as she was falling, she, like, cried out. And for some reason, everyone in the vicinity thought that the bridge was collapsing because someone screamed. So they all, like, stampeded a la Walmart on Black Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. And the stampede... Uh, caused 34, 35 people to be severely wounded and 12 to die. Jesus. Eyewitnesses said that people were packed so tightly that during the stampede, you could see like blood coming from Ooh. their noses and ears. Ooh. Which doesn't sound like a real thing. Like, I have no. no idea why you would be squeezed so tightly your ears would bleed. So I'm not sure I believe that. Ugh. But that's what people were saying at the time. No, thank you. The New York Tribune reported. Within a few minutes, there were piles of crushed and bleeding pieces of humanity at the foot of each flight of stairs, and the panic-stricken crowd was trampling them to death. Pieces of humanity. This does kind of sound like it could be just, like, sensationalist journalism. Oh, absolutely. In the newspaper wars. They were not bleeding out of their goddamn ears. Like, that's not a thing. That's Don't just bleed out of your ears because you're in a really tight crowd. Like, I've been in a mosh pit. My ears didn't bleed. I think they're implying that this was even worse than a mosh pit. I know, but I'm just saying, how much tighter can you get? So many jokes. Do not go for them. (laughs) You're better than that, Tracy. Continue. (laughs) Have you ever been so tight that your ears bled? I can't. I can't. Not a thing. Um, But people, so people were a little bit scared of the bridge for a while, but then they were reassured in 1884, when a circus master led 21 elephants across the bridge and it didn't collapse. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. So were people then just not using the bridge before that? 
they were using it, but people were like scared to walk across freaked it. Freaked out and, about it. Yeah. Like it it helped reassure them that this thing wasn't gonna fall down. Okay. At the time it was known as the eighth wonder of the world. The longest suspension blah, 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 the longest suspension bridge in the world at that time. It was one thousand five hundred and ninety five feet long, aka three hundred and nineteen tracies. Yep. <laughs> yep. I like that this is our unit of measure. Continue. Absolutely. But then in 1903, it was beat out by the Williamsburg Bridge. Oh. The ninth wonder of the world? Uh, yes. Um, no, I don't think so. They just kept going up It was 4.5 feet longer, so it was 319.9 <laughs> Tracy's long. Wow. That's almost a full Tracy longer. Almost, but not quite. Not quite. Not quite. Uh, and because... I apparently have to mention birds in every segment that I do. Um, yeah, it's tradition now. It's tradition. How many birds died no, making this bird? Well, I don't know. I don't know how many birds died. But there's a, a species of falcon called the peregrine falcon, which disappeared in the eastern U.S. due to DDT poisoning. Oh. But I mean, was it DDT poisoning or was it a specially formulated bird poison? Mm. <laughs> By the government. <laughs> Yeah, it raises the question. But these these falcons had disappeared for a while, but they made a comeback after DDT was banned in 1972, and now they can be seen often nesting on top of the bridge. It's one of their Aww. it's one of their uh, frequent oh, that's hangouts. Mm-hmm. So they kind of hang out on top of the bridge and and nest. That's precious. Look at the bridge killing people and bringing birds back from the dead. Bringing birds together. It's a circle of life. And it moves us all. Bringing it all together. That's my, that's my story. Woo. Look at you. So you can listen to Harpy Hour on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Wherever you listen, please rate us and leave a review. Also, if you have stories you think we might like to share, or you just want to say hello because you think we're awesome, which we are, you can email us at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at harpyhourpod. We are also on Patreon. If you have any extra money lying around that you'd like to give to us, or you don't, but you want to make some poor financial decisions because who doesn't? Consider donating to us to keep us on the air. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. bye. I didn't do the okay part. I panicked. <laughs> <laughs>